want to say, I want to ask you what your favorite flavor of ice cream is. Ice cream? Yeah. Okay. All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the CCPC <laughs> podcast. Okay. Boo. <laughs> Boo. <laughs> hey, keep this in. Keep this in. All right. <laughs> hey, everyone. Welcome to the CCPC podcast. I'm Eric, your host. And today for our guest, we have Irene Lee. Hey, Irene. Hi, Eric. Irene, I want to ask you, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? Oh, my gosh. I love them all, but probably coffee. Oh, coffee. That's yeah. very good. Thank you very much. So I'm going to be honest, because I thought Eunice was going to do this, I don't have a ton of questions lined up. So we might have to just spitball for like That's fine. half the time. Let's yeah, do it. I agree. We can talk about... Let's just start rapping. What's the last place you traveled to, Irene? Just outside of Nova? yesterday i went to richmond oh okay well, Nova. there you go what you got why'd you guys get to richmond richmond's honestly my happy place i ah, i love richmond so this isn't your happy place over here <laughs> you're having a good time Ooh, that's not awkward. having a good that's time awkward. come on <laughs> um, I'm, I'm assuming you guys had good food in richmond yeah we just kind of walked around to like where we went in undergrad because it was jeremy tommy and then carol um, and so we were just kind of going to our old stopping grounds. Gotcha. Did you, I saw you guys went to eatery and I saw you guys went, are you a fan of eatery? Okay. So I was not in the beginning. I actually <laughs> did not finish it in the beginning. Really? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's big, but like you didn't want to finish yeah, it. Yeah. I thought it was disgusting. And then I eventually fell in love. Ah, how long did that take? Like, like one month. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, this sucks. And the second time. This is not, not the worst. Yeah. Oh, this is amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It didn't take that long, but yeah. Well, what's your order when you get to eatery? Two peas dark with fried rice. Ooh, and for, for those of you who are not in the know, eatery is a, what, like a Chinese restaurant, and they serve fried chicken that's very mm -hmm. tasty. Mm -hmm. Comes with a ton of rice and... Mm -hmm. um, Gary and he makes me a cholesterol wrap, which oh, is just Oh, with the, the skin? Ah, uh, she knows the yeah. cholesterol wrap. Uh, I, I heard they changed ownership, though. So No, so the really? lady's still there. But okay. I think because of COVID, they changed because the um, it's like half the amount that they usually give you. No. And it's like... It's sound Inflation. Sound, right? And then How dare they? And it's like, sounds insane, but the fried rice actually tastes kind of healthy. Okay, I... Ooh. Like a little healthier. Ooh, that that's not good. That's... Like it doesn't make you feel like, oh god, it doesn't make you feel like crap. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're allowed. To, we're allowed to curse on here. I we we may just bleep it later. Okay. <laughs> I don't really know. We haven't really had an incident yet, so <laughs> I, I'm not 100 percent sure. But but crap, 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 crap. Got him. Baloney. So, there you go. Baloney. Baloney. Bologna. Uh, so what what's your favorite healthy food option in in Richmond? Healthy? Is there healthy food in Richmond? Okay, okay, but what's your favorite food? <laughs> Let's just go back to that one. Oh my gosh. I love brunch. And I think Richmond has a lot of good brunch places. And I stayed after undergrad. And so I worked a couple years in Richmond. So a lot of my coworkers, we did a lot of brunch on the weekends. And so I think that's, I guess, that's kind of healthy, right? It has some eggs and some orange juice. Kind of healthy. Kind of <laughs> healthy. Alcohol. Um, but yeah, I think... Any brunch place in Richmond. And you are, uh, this is a little sidetracked, but you were raised in Charlottesville, is that right? Yeah, so I was actually born in Korea, which surprises a lot of people because I'm not very good at Korean. And then I lived in Nova for a little bit, and then I moved to Harrisonburg, and then I grew up in Charlottesville. Wow, that's a lot of places. Yeah. <laughs> well, why'd you guys end up in Charlottesville? 
Um, my parents actually had a restaurant in Charlottesville. Gotcha. And gotcha. so that's why. Interesting. Did you enjoy your time there? Um, I didn't like it at first. It sounds like there's a trend. I don't like things at first. <laughs> um, but it was good. I I always grew up in the countryside, like Harrisburg, Charlottesville. Um, and so that's kind of what I'm used to. So I like the slower pace environment and also like the smaller groups of people. And Makes so, sense. Yeah. So when you did you really want to go to UVA or were you like Richmond's the place to be? Um, I was not good enough student to get into UVA. <laughs> but would you, would you have wanted to go to UVA? I don't think so. I think I am the person I am today because I went into um, kind of more of a city. And so like in Richmond, my freshman year was a culture shock, like being surrounded by people outside of my like Charlottesville circle. Like if I can tell you kind of how I grew up, like my middle school and high school in Charlottesville, like there was no Asians that were outside of my family members mm. or like bare. I mean, there was a couple of like church people, but mainly like we were somehow related, you know? Um, and then it was just a lot of non-Koreans, yeah. non-Asians. And so to go from that to Richmond and there's so many different cultures and backgrounds and um, opinions. And I needed that. Um, and I think that's kind of where that like led me to where I am now. How, how do you think that shaped your identity in specific, specifically like growing up in a not super Asian community? Mm -hmm. I think I definitely struggled with my identity. Like they always like my peers would always call me the whitest Asian person they've ever known. But I was like, I was like so proud of that. I was like, yeah, I like in that sense of I fit in. But at the same time, I always felt so off, like so different. Like, I still remember when my mom would pack me kimbap to like to take for lunch. And I remember I was so embarrassed. I would eat it in like 10 seconds just so that people didn't see it. But now if when my mom makes me kimbap, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh -huh. And so like I really struggled in the sense of like I didn't know who I was. I didn't know my culture. I didn't know anything. And then so that was really hard. And looking back now, it's like I laughed at a lot of jokes. I let a lot of comments pass that were not appropriate, but I didn't know any better because I didn't have anyone to look up to or kind of relate to. So do you think you were like culture shocked when you went to Richmond and you were surrounded by a lot more Asian people? Yeah, definitely. Like in freshman year, I didn't really hang out with a lot of Asian people. Like I didn't. I still didn't. Um. And you could ask any of my current, like, VCU alum friends. They know to this day what I wore when I first met them because they were telling me how white I was. <laughs> <laughs> I was very whitewashed. Um, and so I had my, you know, polo, button-down, J.Crew outfit, all that stuff. And so, yeah. So do you hold fast to your Korean identity or do you think you're, like, a Korean-American by blood? Or maybe just even an American, right? Like, what, what would you classify? I think I'm still figuring out because, like, I think I am more proud to be a Korean, but I also don't fit into the Korean mold either. Like, I'm my Korean, I can speak to my parents, but it's very mixed English, you know, um, with Korean. And, um, like, I can't read um or write in korean right and so um a lot of my friends when they speak korean around me i can get pieces of it but i have no idea what they're talking about 99 percent of the time 
Um, or when they talk about like Korean pop culture, like I have no idea what they're saying, you know? Um, and so I don't know, I'm just kind of in the middle and I'm trying to figure out like what that looks like for me. Cause I think to kind of put what a Korean person is for every single person, that's not necessarily true because everyone right, relates yeah. to some different levels of spectrum. Um, and so, yeah. So switching gears a little bit, I want to ask you, I mean, do you have a hot take? Oh God. I have a lot of hot takes. Ooh, share me, share me one of them. I don't know. Um, not the hottest, not the coldest. Something more than lukewarm, though. Okay, I know this is like, everyone loves cheese. But I think cheese is kind of disgusting. Oh, <laughs> disgusting. I mean, I'm lactose intolerant, but I don't think cheese is that good. Like, when people put cheese on everything... I'm like, why? So what about like pizza? Do you, do you think the cheese is good I'm gonna there? I'm going to be honest. I take like a couple bites of the cheese with the pizza and then I take it off. Oh, you take off the cheese? I like the bread. What? You're eating tomato and like bread. The crust is the best part. I mean, that objectively true. Okay. <laughs> okay, maybe not objectively, but. Yeah. So like when you get pasta, you don't put Parmesan cheese on? No. Wow. That's that's interesting. Do you did you eat a lot of cheese growing up, right? Um, I guess not. Kind of, but Maybe like, I just like never, I don't think cheese is that good. That'd be, that's, a, that's a very fair opinion. So like when you get a charcuterie board uh -huh. and you're eating the ham and crackers, you just forego cheese? I put like a little bit of cheese, a couple bites, but yeah, not really. Wow. Is that your wow. question, Derek? Yeah, that was great. <laughs> He's, He's proud so of proud that of that one. one. Yeah, we, we have a new uh, editor-in-chief today. Which, uh, we got Derek Shi in the, in the back backfield. Uh, Thank you, Derek. But um, oh, that's a that's an interesting, interesting take there, Irene. Mm -hmm. What? Wait, if you don't like cheese, do you like? Did you like milk growing up, or do you like milk now? Yeah. So it's just the hard, like what about yogurt? I hate yogurt. You hate yogurt unless I put like things in it and mix. You know. Yeah, and then at it's that not point, like, it's I like I wouldn't a... be like eating yogurt right. like that. Huh. And I know it's tough, especially like being in, uh, in Nova. But I don't ever crave Korean food. Ever. Ever. What? Wow. So, what food do you crave then when you're hungry? My favorite food is tacos. Taco. <laughs> tacos. But there's like no good taco places in Correct. there. Correct. That's ah. why I'm so sad. <laughs> if anyone knows a good taco place, please take me. There's a couple of Manassas, right? Have you I ever heard. found those places? You yeah. haven't been out there? Gotcha. Yeah. Maybe tacos. we'll go there as a, as a CG or something so yes. one of these days. Yes. Tacos are chicken nuggets, honestly. I can live off chicken nuggets. Those are very different things. People are going to think I'm like the most like what's elementary. The, what's, like, <laughs> what's the best tacos that you eat and what's the best chick, chicken nuggets that you eat in? Okay, I know a lot of people like love Chick-fil-A. <laughs> I think Chick-fil-A is okay. I'd rather have Popeyes. Oh, I don't think it's a hot take, though. Okay. Popeyes has some dank chicken. Right? And yeah. the fries are really good. Um, yeah. Tacos. Okay. In full, okay. Disclaimer. Having gone to LA which that's my next stop so I need to for the tacos but I think the best taco I've had and this was before it got really hyped up there's a food truck um a taco food truck in Charlottesville that I grew up going to like starting in middle school and it was when no one really knew about it and it was so good and now every time I go back it's still pretty good but because it's so popular now it's not the same what's it called I could not tell you. Ah, it's like, I know well, exactly where it is. It's like right in front of the laundromat. 
All right. So if you guys are, uh, UVA people will know exactly what I'm talking about. If you're ever in Shotsville, go to in front of the laundromat <laughs> and eat their tacos. Off there. of 29. Off of 29. You know, just go. If you take a left out of church, you could get to Shotsville, right? Yeah. Yeah. There you go. You just stay. But they only open after six o'clock. Oh. They gotta oh. go after six. Oh, what? After six o'clock? Yeah. So uh, they must make a ton of revenue after dinner hours. Then, I guess. But they make a lot of money, so. So, I, I mean, I hear you're into sneakers a lot. Is that true? Derek? Derek? Did, uh, um, I hear you have a big collection, at least. I like shoes. <laughs> true. Fair enough. What, what, could, what got you started into that? I was gifted Jordan 1s. And they're actually my Peter shoes at this point. Huh. But, like, I just thought it was so pretty. My favorite color is red. Um, and it was red, black. And then it was just really pretty. And then I was like, okay. I love these shoes. Let's see what else is out there. And it just turned into a black hole. And I just got a lot of shoes here and there. And it's actually really funny because growing up in high school, I literally had like two pairs of shoes that I really liked. And that was it. And then look at me now. Yeah, look at you now. <laughs> look at what, me now. When did, when did you get those Jordan 1s? I got them around right before I started grad school. So 2017. Wow, wow. So it's been a couple of years. So what what's your favorite sneakers right now then? I don't think I have a favorite one, but I do have a favorite like style, which is my Jordan one. So I have a bunch of colors of Jordan ones. Do you just cycle through your shoes like on a daily basis? I started off my job wearing professional <laughs> business wear. <laughs> um, but then it slowly transitioned into literally sneakers and then like whatever I matches with sneakers so i do wear a lot of sneakers to school because i run around a lot um but yeah that's that's definitely fair do you has anyone made note of you not wearing your professional shoes anymore um i so i did actually ask my boss last year if that was a problem and they said that as long as i do my job it doesn't <laughs> matter and so i took that as a you're okay so so you're a school counselor right yes at Freedom High School. Correct. And it's the one that's in Loudoun, right? Not the, <laughs> Not one, the one in Woodbridge. Right. Yeah. If for people don't don't know, I didn't know this. There's two Freedom High Schools yes. in Virginia. And that's very confusing. Why would they do that? Do you have any idea? It's because they're different counties. So they weren't speaking. I guess they don't communicate. And so it's the same colors, black and gold, the same mascot, eagles, same name. <laughs> very different types of schools. Huh. Do you guys have like friendly competition or you just like don't care about each other? Um, we don't, but we <laughs> when we were renovating our school, apparently a lot of our supplies went over there and we get like phone calls all the time asking for the other one. And then, yeah, we get each other's mails all the time. That makes sense. I mean, yeah. So I growing up, I honestly had no idea what my school counselor did. And I, I personally never wanted to yeah. see mine. So could you tell us a little bit about your life as a school counselor? What? your day-to-day what's your duties stuff like that yeah so back in the day we were called guidance counselors but don't call us guidance counselors anymore um the reason why we changed the name that's so important to just kind of like advocate for my profession really quick is because back in the day it was mainly for classes it's mainly for like college stuff right what you typically know school counselors did like schedules all that good stuff right uh, but nowadays with every just the climate of schools we do a lot of mental health counseling um, so if I were to break down my job in the fall yes we do focus a lot on college prep for our seniors but 
on a day-to-day basis, I do probably like 75% mental health counseling, 20% like paperwork. And then the rest is just like crisis response. Um, and so that is kind of why there's a shift in the name. Um, in full honesty, I didn't, I never went to my counselor either. So, (laughs) (laughs) so I know people get really like awkward when I tell them that I'm a school counselor and they're like, I don't know what that means. And that's totally fine. So is it required now and was required in the past to have like a psychological background or is it that's kind of something you pick up on the job it's kind of one of those things where our my profession is changing a lot right now um and it's actually depending on which grad school you go to that your background and your experience is going to be very different for example i went to uva and i chose uva because they were very data driven and a lot of um very like scientific focused and so like finding practical ways to change and support students and not just doing things just to try and hope that it works kind of mm-hmm, thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's some evidence to back up why we do what we do. Um, and we can kind of look at the data and see if it's effective or if we need to change it. Okay. Um, not all schools are like that. Some other programs are mainly focusing on a lot of feelings and emotions and a lot of counseling. And so, um, so it's really different. Um, each counselor is different, which I think is so cool about my profession is like there's nine counselors, including me, my school, and all of us do everything very differently. So if there's nine counselors and how, how many students do you guys have? We have like 2,200 kids. Something okay. like that. I don't know. A lot. So that's a lot. about what, 100 some students per counselor? No. Our idea ratio, <laughs> <laughs> our ratio that we try to aim for is one counselor to 250 kids. Uh-huh. Um, but right now we're uh, like around like 275 or 80 kids per counselor. So how do you maintain relationships with all those students being that, you know, you're only one person, there's yeah. 275 of the students? Um, I put in a lot of off-contract hours. I do. Um, and that's why I wear sneakers. And I think that's why my boss is okay because I don't like being in my office whenever I'm not doing something or I'm not in a meeting. I'm always out in the hallways, like trying to get my face out there and like talking to my kids in the hallways and talking to teachers um and that was actually a fear of mine coming in I was like I'm going to such a big school how am I gonna know my kids names and how am I going to remember what we talked about but I think once I got into the groove of it it's not as bad do I mess up some names correct (laughs) (laughs) but that's why I love my my go-to is, hey, bud, hey, you know? Hey, you. <laughs> and it works. <laughs> but I try to call all the students by name to, you know, just make them feel special. It is hard, but um, yeah, that's how I get to try to know them. And it's nice because we actually break it down by last names. Um, and so I've had their, like, siblings, oh, and I will wow. have their siblings, or I've gotten to know their families. And so that's really nice. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming not... Like, like you and I, not every student utilizes the counselor, right? So what, how many people do you say utilize you in a very effective manner, like out of the 275? 250 of them. <laughs> oh, really? Wow. That's a shift. Yeah, it's a lot. Like nowadays, there's the administrators that you always see, right? In the schools. And then you see your teachers all the time. But then also nowadays, counselors are just 
as much in the forefront. Like everything goes through us too, um, which is nice because then we look at the kid as a whole. Okay. Um, when we were called guidance counselors, we only looked at them for academics. But now we look at them as a whole. Like, what do they need outside of school? Like, if they need financial support, if they need other things outside of, like, in their home, we want to know about that and we want to help them. If they need help, even with their academics, like, we meet with kids that way and social emotional stuff too. Um, so, yeah, I mean, my kids literally come and see me for literally everything. Literally everything. <laughs> literally everything. So, yeah, I mean, there's kids that we see more often than others but we yeah we see a lot of our students hmm. what what would you say is your favorite part about this job favorite part that every day is so different than the day before like it's actually really fun i get jealous of people that work from home but i wouldn't give up my day-to-day because it's so nice because i i would go into work and Literally take a breath. I'm like, all right, what is today going to be like? And then before you know it, the bell rings and the day's over and you just went flying by. So we try to generally avoid COVID talk on here because people are so tired of talking about that. Yeah. But when you were, you know, quarantining at home and everyone was at home, what was counseling like then? It was awful because legally we were so limited in what we can do. Like our day to day is about doing counseling and make sure our kids are taken care of, like social, emotionally. And a lot of our kids, their issues are stemmed from home, like their parents, their siblings, um, everything like that. Right. And so for us, for us to be told you can't do, you can't ask them questions, it's like heartbreaking because that's the core of your job. Um, so that was really hard. Um, and also on top of that, like, doing it on the camera is so different than face to face because you don't catch the body language you don't catch the change in voice pitch like all that stuff that we use to you know counsel like I couldn't catch any of that and so it was really hard but as a first year counselor it was there was also positive because I learned so many names (laughs) so like a part of my job is kids drop in to my office all the time like nonstop. And, like, having to know in, like, 0.0001 second what their name is. Now I feel a little bit better because I had a whole year. So when they emailed me, their name is right there. Wow. That's, you know what I'm saying? That is quite convenient. Or, like, when teachers, like, ask me for something, their name's right there. So <laughs> I learned names a lot quicker last year because I, like, physically saw it. And that was really nice. But I'm, I'm assuming you could never go back to doing that ever. Absolutely ever. not. Yeah. Absolutely not. Uh, you're talking about briefly about the next generation. What are some ways that we can help as individuals to help better guide the next generation? Uh, I think being okay about talking about things that are not always so happy. Like, I think nowadays, especially with technology, like, people are really struggling to just be able to have a conversation with someone. Like, people are forgetting how to do that. Like, most of this year, as counselors, what we did is try to alleviate the social anxiety of our students and our staff members coming back into settings like group settings and i can say for myself i had a lot of high high social anxiety going into like group settings because we went two years without really being in a large group um and i think with the change and the speed of new technology like we are doing less and less face-to-face interactions. 
uh, with one another. And you can really tell in how they cope with their emotions, cope with uh, bad situations or events. Like they just like really struggle through knowing strategies that can help them through that. And I think um, as parents or even young adults, like practicing those skills is so important. How, how do you view your students? It's kind of an abstract question. Like, do you see them as like children? Do you see them as like fully functioning adults? I always see my, cause I work with high schoolers, right? So some of them, they leave high school as 18 year olds. Um, I still think them as little kids. Um, I know it's really hard for adults when they have a very difficult student to see them as a child because they physically, they look like a grown man or a woman. Right. Um, but I always, take it as they're still learning. They're still multiple. They're still making mistakes. And I call them growing pains all the time. And they have all these years and time to learn and really figure out who they want to be. And I think that's why it's so important, even with the difficult kids, like it's so important to just take a breath and just remind yourself that they're kids, they're learning, they're making mistakes. Um, and it would actually be a really great opportunity um, as adults, as people that they're interacting with to help them sway in a better direction. So when you do run out of patience, um, how do you help reset that for yourself and get back? Because, you know, this is your job and yeah. you have to kind of be at a certain level, I'm, I'm sure, to be able to counsel the students, right? Yeah. Before I became a school counselor, I worked in an alternative school. Um, so it was a group of kids that were in and out of juvie and we were also a hands-on school. So we did physical restraints. So I literally got cussed out, thrown things thrown at me, like punched, <laughs> like things like that in inner city Richmond. And so I think in that sense, like, because I went and worked two years of that, there's nothing any kid in South Riding can say or do to me that I would be upset about. Um, <laughs> that's just me. <laughs> I'm sure it, it weighs on you over time. No, it's, this is what, how long have you been teaching now? This, or sorry, counseling now? Is it this is my second year. Second so it's not year? that long. Yeah. Okay, okay. I've done it for four years, including grad school, but it's two full years of like professional full time. I am full honesty. Kids are really never the issue for me. It's always the parents. Mm. It's always the adults. So you do, how much contact do you have with these students' parents? So much. So much, really. <laughs> they call, they stop by, they email nonstop. So as a parent of a student, what would you have as the ideal relationship between you and them? I think it really helps a lot if you do have, um, if you do communicate with us, like let us know when something happens, right? And I think also too, I found out as I'm working at Freedom is a lot of our Asian parents, they don't know like what resources they have in their school for their kids. And also it's such a culture thing where it's like, it's our family. So we don't want outsiders knowing what's going on in our family, which I mean, I think there's pros and cons to that. Um, but I think ultimately like it sucks because we want to help your student be successful. We want to help them be the best they can. And if we don't have all the information of like maybe something really big is happening at home, like being able to communicate that with us and let us know, um, it helps a lot. Um, also patience with us. Like I think a lot of parents, it's their baby, it's their child, like they love them, understandable. But when they want things done right away and in a certain way, 
it makes it very difficult for us because it's like we have almost 300 other kids with us that we have to deal with. So if you see students with problems in their home life, right, you don't have much like inherent power to do anything in their home life. How do you personally like wrestle with that yourself with knowing that this is happening and you can't really be there specifically for that? I guess that depends, right? So we do have some control over what's happening at home life. Like if we find that our three big things is, is someone hurting you? Is, are you hurting somebody else? Um, and all that stuff, right? Like if there's physical or emotional abuse that's happening, like we can do something about it. Um, and I think there's a lot of misinformation when it comes to CPS. Like for us, we are mandated reporters. So we have a certain amount of time that we have to report to CPS if we have any um, knowledge of anything that's happening at home. Um, and when we do call CPS, it doesn't mean like in TV where they pull a kid out, the parents go to jail, whatever that is, right? CPS is actually there to provide resource for the parents to better support their children. So does that mean that they need parenting classes? Okay, they can do that. Do they need financial like resources? Like are they like having their kids come to school like smelling in the same clothes for weeks because they don't have the resource? Like they can do that. Like that's what CPS is there for. It's not necessarily there unless there is a good reason for the kids to be pulled. Like that is what happens. If it's more of like there's high stress, there's like a lot of emotional stuff, but not to the point where it's abuse, then like, yes, we can't do much, but we can help the kids like process that. We can help kids find different coping skills and communication skills. Um, there's a lot of times I've even called and had the parents come in and we have like a conversation together um, with the kid and the parents. And so, and that's sometimes effective when it's coming from someone outside of the family so that i definitely held that misconception for cps yeah uh, thanks for enlightening me i was wondering if you had any other misconceptions that you are aware of that you would want to be corrected in the, here maybe in like terms of counseling or oh man so many <laughs> <laughs> um one we're not therapists <laughs> mm. i wish i got paid as a therapist but i'm not <laughs> um yeah i think also i've learned a lot of like asian families they're like scared to get mental health support like outside counseling and then they'll be like you can do it and i'm like i can't no i don't think you want me to counsel your child um and they might end up worse than the way they're starting which okay i do appreciate this so much about um ccpc is how open they are talking about like mental health and counseling because in all the schools that I've been to, like, that's so taboo, especially in the Korean um, American household. It's like, you don't talk about that. And like, you can go to church and that's enough, right? And I'm, I believe that church is very important and I believe community is very important. But I also believe like working through a with a trained professional through your mental health is just as important um, as all these other resources that you have within the church too. So how do we help push for mental health? Open communication. Like talk about that and be open about it. Like, it, like I think for us, we are so quick to talk about all the positives that's going on in our lives. And it kind of relates to our spirituality too. It's like 
you know, when you ask them, how are you doing? It's so, we're so easy to say, like, it's going great. Like, all is good. Like, you know, I'm a little tired, but like, I'm great. But then deep down, you know, you've had other things that's on your heart that we just aren't comfortable to share as much. And I know a lot of, I said this a lot to my friends, but, you know, a lot of us work out, right? And if we want a part of our physical body to get stronger, like our muscle group, right? Our biceps, like our back, whatever. We lift and we work it out on a regular basis, right? And then you can lift more, you can do more, okay? And that's the same thing with our mental health. If you want something like a skill to be stronger and you want to be better at it, you need to practice it more. Like if you grew up in your family, you guys never really expressed emotions you never talked about anything deeper than just your day like you are that muscle is very small very weak right and that doesn't mean that it's not capable of getting stronger you just have to practice it every single day um with people with those people that you trust and you will get more and more comfortable with it um yes it's going to feel awkward in the beginning but the more you do it the more you sit in that uncomfortableness like the easier it gets mm -hmm. What would you think are things that we as individuals and also us as a church can do to help um, bolster what, what you just said? I think just pouring out to our younger population is so important. Um, you know, showing them good, positive relationship. Like, what does that look like? And uh, modeling is so big at that age. Um, like, you think that the smallest conversation that you have that could even be like two minutes it's not gonna like they're not gonna even remember it but these kids they're like sponges they soak up everything um and so just having that spending that time with them and just getting to know them getting having them get to know you um and just not necessarily to give them advice teaching like lecturing them at all but just spending time with them um you know taking the time to Make them feel like, hey, this is not forced. Like, I'm actually wanting to be here with you um, and talk with you. And, like, I don't think necessarily these kids need a lot of things. They just need your time. And they just need to feel like you care. Are there any current, like, organizations, avenues that you would want to provide support for or, like, announce recognition for that, that would help in these endeavors? I will say this is kind of separate from your your question, but even though with Loudoun County and Fairfax County, um, they're very well resourced and they have a lot of financial aid coming in, um, but there's still a lot of families that need a lot of support. So if you can like reach out to your counselors or your school and ask like, especially around the holidays, like what do you guys need? Like we always need backpacks. We always need school supplies, like even in our rich schools, like, um, and especially in the holiday times, we love when people donate food um, because then we can give it to those like select small population that might not be as well off. Right. Um, different organizations. Um, I think there's so many, I think the cool part about Nova is, there's so many resources out there. Um, but within the schools, I think we have a lot that we can spread to our students. But within the church, I think it's really good to kind of figure out, um, do you guys have on your website like some mental health resources that align with the church's vision and mission, but also can provide mental health support? And I think that's so important nowadays um, when maybe 
Yeah, like a lot of our school websites nowadays always has one at least one page of mental health resources that people can look into. And that's just so good because it tells people, hey, we care about your mental health here. Is there a specific underutilized resource that you think could be more well utilized in the schools? Mental health counseling team. So outside mm. of counselors, we actually have school psych and social workers. Did not know that. Yeah, and they're actually trained in um, counseling and therapy. Is it about like one of each per school? <laughs> yeah. Ooh, that's, <laughs> that's not a great ratio. But they actually, like, not that many kids and parents know about them. And I will say, one thing that I would also utilize too is our Asian population, we work extremely hard in the classroom. But that doesn't mean that our students are not struggling. And, like, I think it's so important to talk with your kids, like, and kind of see, like, or, like, ask them, hey, do you have attention issues? Do you have focus issues? Because I think Asian population, they get tested less than our other races uh, for learning disabilities. So if you have any, like, concerns about that, like, the school has a lot of resources that can help guide parents. And I say that because I know a lot of our students, something that should take them like 30 minutes to do could take students maybe two hours if they have attention or um, a learning disability. Do you know of what the most like common undiagnosed issue might be amongst, you know, Asians or anyone? Probably ADHD. Ah, uh, true. <laughs> like everybody has ADHD <laughs> to some level. It's like a spectrum, but... um. I think there's like a fine line, like some people get diagnosed quick and then it's all on all types of different medication. And that's a disclaimer, just because you have a different disability or disorder doesn't mean you have to be on medication. There's different coping strategies. There's different resources that you can use, like even a planner. <laughs> like a lot of kids don't know how to use a planner. And that in itself could solve a lot of like attention deficits and things like that and learning disabilities. And so um, I think with parents they're nervous about getting their kids on different types of medication but um there's also different other uh options out there too so we're gonna wrap up a little bit but yes. i want to ask you briefly about your faith how your faith fits into your role as a school counselor um yeah oh my gosh i i'm not gonna lie i like bump worship songs going into work because <laughs> I, I pray and i'm like lord give me patience give me a heart of love. And um, I always pray that I can show love even when I'm frustrated or when I'm upset. Um, and I really pray that before I say anything to anybody at work, um, that I can pause and kind of think, like, how can I show love even in ABC situations? Um, and so, yeah, I think... It's actually really surprising. I tell my friends all the time, I'm like, I don't know how or why God put me in this position and this profession, but I absolutely love it. But And I feel like God used someone so broken and so weird and so different to like show students that, hey, you can be a weird child, but doesn't mean like life is going to be hard. <laughs> like there's so much beauty in that. Um I mean, I think you're a great role model, so keep doing your thing. Thanks, um, Eric. <laughs> I'm going to tie it all back with our final question, and that's, um, Irene, uh, throughout your life, has there been one person in particular or that you would want to shout out who's really heavily impacted your, you and your spiritual walk? 
Yeah. So the reason why I started going to CCPC is because a lot of my close VCU sisters actually went to um, or plugged in to CCPC. So shout out to Amy and Diane. And I guess Woo. Young Shin too. But <laughs> <laughs> they were actually the first people that I met when I um, tried out service ministry at VCU. Mm. Uh, man, I was, I was so broken. <laughs> and I was so in my little world uh, at BCU, like didn't really attend church, didn't really care. Um, and they were the first people I met at Spring Retreat. And they were the first um, sisters that really like asked me the deep questions. And they're the ones that can see through all my smiling jokes and, you know, my surface level answers. And they truly care for how I am and how I'm doing, um, not only in my personal life or my work or, but really my spiritual walk. And so when I came to Nova, um, you know, I went a couple of years where I didn't really have community because um, I always lived super far from all my friends um, after college. Um, and so when I came to Nova, I, I told myself, like, I need community. I need a group of sisters that are going to keep me accountable and um, help me grow uh, to the person I want to be. Um, and I try CCPC. You guys are a huge church. So it stresses <laughs> me out a lot. But having them definitely makes it uh, feel really small. Um, which I really appreciate and needed. We're glad you're here, Irene. And uh, thank Thanks, you for Irene. talking to us. Uh, hope you had a great time. <laughs> <laughs> hope it wasn't too stressful. <laughs> a little stressed, but it's fine. Yeah, you it did a good. great job. But to everyone listening, thanks for listening. And we'll catch you next time. See ya. Peace. <laughs> Derek, please start a vlog.